Good day, everybody, and welcome to the House of Mario, the South Australian Nintendo podcast that is backed by a 120 power star rating. I'm your host, Drew Agnew, and the doors to episode 245 are open. This week on the show, I've been playing a bunch of games. I'm keen to talk about them. Been getting into that Nintendo Switch Online Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games. So looking forward to discussing that with you, as well as some Final Fantasy Theat Rhythm Final Bar Line. Been playing a bit of that last night, and that's a big deal of fun, even though I'm not the biggest Final Fantasy fan. Hope you're going well. I hope you've had a fantastic day, wherever you are. Whether you're listening to this at night or in the morning, or God forbid you can't sleep and you're trying, trying to doze off. Well, wake up, mate. The House of Mario, you clicked on it. You may as well listen to it. Jesus Christ, I don't uh, do this for nothing, mate. Jeez, I, oh, <laughs> I don't know where I'm on about. Well, I do do it for nothing, literally, financially. But um, I don't know where I'm going with this. I listen to podcasts to get to sleep sometimes. It's not like I'm I'm, uh, I'm not guilty of that. Last night, I was actually listening to uh, the start of Defining Duke, an Xbox podcast to help get to sleep. And that's no disrespect to Cog or Maddie who host the show. It's just how it is. You know, you set your little timer to half an hour so you don't waste the whole show. You'll go back and reverse it, the bits that you didn't listen to properly. But it's all right. So you can do that with House of Mario too. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> Bit of housekeeping before we start. Uh, be sure to go over to youtube.com slash idruby. Follow me over there. Check out the live streams, the videos, this podcast, and uh, much more that I get up to there. Been doing some live streams straight from the PlayStation 5 over the last week. Uh, live, live streamed Rooftop Renegade, which is a fantastic game from an... Uh, a local indie studio here in South Australia. I'll talk a bit about that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, been streaming that. I streamed Wild Hearts, the first hour. Um, and I pretty much just, uh, you know, it's not it's like a super exciting, uh, you know, VOD to go back to. I just sort of played it. But um, yes, yeah, it's very fun. So if you wanted to check those out, say what I'm up to, youtube.com slash Ruby. You can follow the show on podcast services as well. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Very much appreciate that. I uh, haven't had one in a long time. So if you want to leave one, I'll read it out on the show. I'll very much appreciate it. I'll, I'll just uh, throw some flowers at you. I really will. I'll, th- I'll throw them at you. I'll throw them over you and they'll just drizzle down, I reckon. not. I'm not, I'm not aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what I mentioned earlier, it's like I don't do this for nothing. So head over to patreon.com slash where you can leave a $1 tip where you can get exclusive podcasts such as Secret Recordings, which is behind the scenes podcast I do by myself. And also a podcast called Heaps Good that I do with my good friend Josh, the host of the wonderful Nintendo podcast, Nintendvania, where we talk about a little bit of everything that we want to talk about. I actually, this I'm recording an episode with him tomorrow and I sort of want to pitch some ideas. I really want to work more with Josh. I think he's a great bloke. Going to his engagement party next weekend. Really looking forward to it. Um, but I want to do some more podcasting with Josh. I know, personally for me, you know, I'm doing this by myself. I really enjoy it. But I'm just really itching to just talk more games. I've been really enjoying my gaming the last couple of months, you know, since work slowed down. Since I got this goddamn gaming TV. I know I never shut up about it, but it's really awesome. I cannot wait for it. And uh, just with everything on the horizon, even like next week, we got Atomic Heart, which is not on Switch, but really looking forward to that on Xbox Game Pass, as well as PlayStation VR 2. My God, I cannot wait for VR 2. 
Um, I ha- I've got PlayStation VR 1, but honestly, I didn't use it that much. I played a bunch of Beat Saber, played Moss, um, and apart from that, I just dabbled in a little bit here and there. I didn't use it that much. It was just a, a kind of a pain, pain to set up, and I had a PlayStation 4 Pro sort of set up in the corner. like Literally behind me, I had it set up, and it just was a pain in the ass to use, but I can't wait just to like with this setup now, just wheel this TV wherever I need it, plug in the VR just in the USB-C at the front and play a bunch of games there. So um, I'll be really playing a lot of VR games next week, I dare say, when I can get the time, when I can just zone out and uh, not pay attention to the rest of the world. So I cannot wait for that. And also Kirby. Is Kirby out next week? It is. Kirby's out next week. Octopath Traveler. My God. The games this month, and it, it was originally going to be um, Atelier Riser 3 as well, which is my most anticipated game, excluding Zelda. I think Zelda's on a different um, different echelon of uh, hype levels as far as, um, as far as games I'm looking forward to. But uh, yeah, Atelier Riser 3 was meant to come out, and that would have been a little bit too much for Drew to handle. I don't think he would have been able to do um, the multiple VR games, Atomic Heart, Atelier Riser 3... Octopath Traveler. I think there would have been a little bit too much juggling there. Uh, typically for me, when it comes to playing games, I like to divide stuff up between like a, a longer game, like a triple A game, for example, maybe a retro game or an indie game, depending on what they are. So you can like divide them up between like something like Dead Cells or Mario Bros. 3 or like whatever it is. I think just something like a little bit more linear that you, you can come back to and not forget the story. Um, as well as like maybe some something like Super Smash Brothers or a rhythm game or something where you can come back to and just like go for the high score or try and unlock characters or something like that. That's what I like to divide it up between. So multiple JRPGs as well as like immersive VR and all that. I don't know. I don't think that's possible for old Drew. <laughs> so yeah, man, it's going to be a great week coming up, but I've already had a great week. So I just want to jump into my week on gaming. I'm still getting through Dead Space and... Honestly, <laughs> if I if I wasn't so adamant to finish it, I prob- probably would drop it. I think Dead Space, I think it's a great game. I'm really glad that I've picked it up to basically at least chip in my part to say to EA, like, make games like this. This is amazing. You need to be using your studios for other things other than just, than just your sports games. And I love FIFA, don't get me wrong, and I appreciate those that love Madden. I actually tried to play Madden on Xbox Game Pass and what it come down to is I had no idea how to play the game. I've never watched a game of American football in my life. So when it came to actually like, all right, you know, what play do you want to, what what formations do you want to do? I've got no idea. I've got no idea. But I appreciate it. So Dead Space, I I absolutely love how it's basically set out. Um, You know, you can save every feels like every two minutes, which is good for me. But I think ultimately, like the first three play sessions, which I mentioned on an earlier episode of The House of Mario, I just feel like really stressed as I'm playing the game. And after three sort of nights of it, I'm like, I've had enough. I need a rest. In about a week and a half, I come back to it and that feeling hasn't really gone away. I don't feel good when I'm playing the game. I sort of just want it to hurry up. Um, but I think... Like that's what the game's ultimately looking to achieve. It's make you uncomfortable. You know, you're 
you're going from each area of the Ishimura, the ship that you're on, to basically you're trying, you know, you're trying to get off of it. So it it, it makes sense. Um, so what I've done it, it <laughs> is that I've put the difficulty difficulty level all the way down to story mode, easy baby mode. So your health like auto regenerates, you do more damage, you get less damage given to you. I just want to finish this game. So I'm on like chapter eight. I've got four chapters to go, and that seems like that's like that's like a fourth of the game still. <laughs> I'm really. I thought this was going to be a real simple, quick game to get through. You know, about 10, 12 hours. I'm about 10 hours in. I don't know. Well, I think eight hours by the game clock. So I'm just really wanting to get this out of the way. And it's put me off sort of getting into Metroid Prime Remastered. I haven't touched it yet because it's, you know, a kind of a similar game in some aspects. Obviously, Metroid Prime isn't a horror game, but it's a, it's a moody game you know it's got an atmosphere it's a first person game shooty shooty game i don't want to sort of line those two things up because ultimately i will fall off both (laughs) probably if i put too much on my shooting moody plate as far as that goes so i'm saving that i mean i haven't played metroid prime properly all this time so i may as well just play it when i'm ready to play it on switch but seeing everything online from metroid prime it looks fantastic the remaster looks really great just I can't believe how well the teams, because there's multiple teams that have worked on this, have um, just made it look and made it run. 60 frames looks stunning. I'm like, it'll be great if uh, we could see a lot more of this from Switch. Obviously, different um, different talent and just expertise coming to the technical side of things. It looks um, just looks fantastic. So big, big props to Nintendo for getting that together. So I'm looking forward to getting into that, but I'll play it a little bit later when I'm actually able to put my full energy into it. So I want to get Dead Space out of the way in saying that I've bought a couple more games. I've been playing last night Final Fantasy Theat Rhythm Final Bar Line. And like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'm not a huge Final Fantasy fan. I want to play more of the series. Um, ideally this year, I'd like to play Final Fantasy VII, play Final Fantasy VII Remake, and then I'll be ready for part two of Final Fantasy um, Remake. So that's what I want to achieve this year as far as, as, far as Final Fantasy goes. And they're actually releasing Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the um, NES and Super Nintendo games on modern platforms. So I'd like to play some of them as well. I, I want to get into Final Fantasy. I think I'd really enjoy it. Um, and that's pretty evident from this game as well. Just whole, the whole atmosphere. The music is fantastic. I don't think that's a surprise when it comes to Final Fantasy, just uh, how great the music is. Even from Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, like NES games, they sound really great. And what's cool about this game is it's a rhythm game. You're pressing the buttons in time. There's different sort of methods you use. Like there's a, there's obviously you just press the button in time and you hold in the button, let it go at a certain time. Then there's the sticks you can flick in different directions as well as holding the button. You use the stick to move your little cursor up and down. So you're getting the correct, um, the correct, uh, I guess, line as you're moving the stick. Um, it's interesting because you can basically use any button on the controller to do input. It's not like other rhythm games, like for example, Guitar Hero, where you've got to obviously do the right button. You can't just press any button to do any note. As well as like one of my favorite rhythm games, which was on PlayStation Vita and P- uh, PS3. There was a bunch of Hatsumiku rhythm games. Um, there's a great one on Switch at the moment as well, where you, you've got to press all the face buttons in time. There's different sort of touchscreen 
um, inputs as well, as well as using the stick and the shoulder buttons and the triggers. So it uses like every single button, but you've got to use the correct button. You can't just press anyone. But this one sort of just throws that out the window. You can just press any button, which is good, I guess. You don't have to be like, oh, you don't have to look down at your controller and be like, oh God, A, B, X, Y. Oh. Like it, 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 it's not quite like that. It's just about how you input those actions, which is pretty cool. So you just, um, just press the button. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> and I'm playing on expert mode, which I think is the... It's not as good as it sounds. It's only like the second the second level. So it goes from like a basic expert and then it, like it goes on from two more from that. But I don't know why expert, you go from basic to expert. It's like, God, I'm not learning this quickly. Um, but what's uh, great about it is you go through every single Final Fantasy game and you go through the story of each game. And each game story only takes about... I don't know, 20 minutes or something like that to go through all the songs. And as you're going through all the songs, there's different quests or different um, requirements to complete each quest. For example, a song might give you complete the song with this character or, or deal this much damage or um, use this item or defeat the boss at the end of the song because each song you play, you don't necessarily beat all the enemies. You got a certain amount of time that the song lasts for and if you don't deal enough damage, the boss will just be like, all right, well, I'm still here. <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool with that and you've got so many characters throughout all the Final Fantasy franchise and you're able to level them up as you go along and that's pretty interesting as well because it offers that little itch inside your brain where you're just playing songs, you're leveling up, you're getting different items that you can equip, different abilities that you can equip to your characters. You've got a party of four that you can use. You can put, uh, you can use different summons that you collect along the way as well throughout the Final Fantasy series. Um, and it's all, it's not as daunting as it sounds because last night was my first time sitting down with the game. So you can just press X and that just allows you to auto assign your party pretty much. Puts all like your items, your abilities, your summons, all of that, that it recommends for you to go into that battle. So that works pretty well. That's just what I was doing for the most part, apart from maybe some quests that wanted me to defeat the boss with a, a lightning ability. And I'm like, all right, I'll get a lightning ability and I auto Oh, I'll put that myself. But apart from that, I was just auto-assigning stuff while I was learning the mechanics of the game. So, yeah, pretty much you're going through the different games. I went through a lot of the retro games. So, Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3. Um, I went and played um, Final Fantasy 7. What was that new one that came out? Well, the PSP game. What was that called again? It's completely escaped me. I haven't played it before. But... Um, I really, that that game has the best music so far. Um, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Final Fantasy VII, and, oh, God, I forgot the name of it. Final Fantasy, uh, it's the PSP game. It's, it's driving me nuts. I'm going to I'm gonna have to look it up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that had the best music out of the out of the games that I played last night. And it also has, like, a bunch of DLC, too. So I noticed that it's got DLC for Live Alive, um, and a bunch of other Square Enix games as well. So if they keep adding to that, that'll be amazing if they just keep adding different RPGs from their repertoire um, because this is one of the best sort of celebrations of a franchise I've ever played. And on the Nintendo side, we've had 
um, you know, Mario 3D All-Stars, which was just like, it's nice to get Mario Galaxy and Mario Sunshine on a modern platform. That's cool. But it wasn't really paying a massive tribute to like 35 years of Super Mario, the one of the most influential, important series in gaming. Um, it just, it wasn't really doing it. But just have a game that's like has all of Final Fantasy's music and remixes and um, music videos and um, just a bunch of stuff in there that really makes, I could imagine if I was a massive Final Fantasy fan, this would be just like the ultimate celebration and just hearing all the music, playing the actual game itself, which is fantastic. I'm really looking forward to playing more of this. So I picked up two games. I picked up this and Wild Hearts yesterday. I played Wild Hearts for an hour. And ultimately, this was the one that really hooked me. I didn't want to stop playing apart from when I was getting late at night. And I'm like, God, I'm just like, <laughs> I can, the screen is just like a haze. I'm like, all right, time to go to bed. But uh, apart from that, man, this is an absolutely fantastic game. I had so much fun with it and I'm looking forward to playing more, unlocking all the songs, going through all the games and uh, seeing what more this game has to offer. So definitely check it out if you're interested if you're just into rhythm games this is a big recommendation if you're a big final fantasy fan this is a recommendation and um maybe maybe wait for a sale or something if you're neither of those i definitely do recommend it um but let's get into some games that i finished over the last week so i, I finished a game boy advance game just a one sitting um and we're all very familiar with this i know i am super mario advance 4 super mario bros 3 now that's a weird name but um, I never actually had this on the Game Boy Advance. I had Super Mario World on uh, Game Boy Advance. That's where I first played that game. And that was a just a tremendous game. It really was. And that's where I first played it. Really nice. Um, but it was really great just having access to Game Boy Advance games again. It's so good. I've been waiting for it for a long time. It's one of the most hype reactions I had from the Nintendo Direct last week. And... Just uh, sitting down with my 8-bit Doe controller, beautiful D-pad, um, playing this game on the TV on handheld mode. I just like get the get the switch. I was in bed, just lay it down on my chest with the stand and uh, play it that way. Just um, really a lot, lot of fun. So it was nice to jump into this. And I really, it looks absolutely stunning on the OLED as well. Just how like the pixel art is just beautiful. There's, there's just something about NES games and Game Boy Advance games that just make me so happy. And it's not even necessarily that I'm nostalgic for SNES necessarily because I didn't grow up with SNES. But when it comes to Game Boy Advance, that is an art style just across all of its games from Pokemon to Minish Cap. And even even in some ways, maybe you can I, I kind of associate, you know, these Mario Advance games in some way um, just because... I remember as a kid going through gaming magazines, um, especially the Game Boy Advance games. That's a system I had. So obviously that's what I was paying the most attention to and going through and like looking at the Pokemon reviews, looking at all the Mario games, which were, you know, the NES games. And um, there's just something really special about it. And I'm just so happy that we're able to play these now. It's been far too long. We're far too long into the Switch generation to be like, all right, here's six Game Boy Advance games or, you know, eight Game Boy games. So just uh, a really great game. And I didn't actually notice before, but like in the Mario Advance version of Super Mario Bros. 3, it actually has like Mario's voice in it, which I didn't notice before. And I can't, I assume Mario wasn't voiced in the SNES 
uh, Mario All-Stars version. I think that was a um, an addition to the Advance uh, version purely because I back on SNES, I guess he didn't have a voice <laughs> before Mario 64 and Charles Martinet voiced him. Um, so that was interesting. I was just like playing it. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> it's got a voice. <laughs> when like you die or, you know, do like get a one up or something like that. So can't wait. I'm actually playing through um, Mario uh, Six Golden Coins at the moment. Played it, first played it on 3DS. Really enjoy it. It's a quick game. I'm, I'm about halfway through in however long I was playing. Got to three of the six coins. So I'll, I'll be jumping to that. And um, I don't know, some of these Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games are going to be pretty decent to, I guess, uh, bulk up my completion rate this year, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> but uh, I think as far as that goes, I'm going to complete six golden coins. I'm going to uh, play through the story and WarioWare. Um, been playing that a fair bit on Switch Online as well. It's, it's great to have that on uh, on Switch. Um, mainly because I guess in some ways, WarioWare on Switch, while I, I appreciate how much effort they went to and how different it is and um, you know, you, c- you can't really compare it to the rest of the series because you're controlling a little character rather than just being like using the D-pad or the motion controls or whatever to complete a, a simple task. Um, I kind of... I missed WarioWare how I remember it in some ways. And, you know, the original WarioWare on Game Boy Advance is just um, just a really special game. I really hope they do... Um, I forgot what the other WarioWare... WarioWare Twisted, that's the one. I hope they put that on there. I think that'll be awesome because we see that there's going to be a couple of games that use the Game Boy Advance, um, I guess, gyro control. I can't remember what it exactly was, but there was a, a Kirby game, a Yoshi's... Was it? There's a Yoshi game, Tilt and Tumble or something like that. I can't quite remember. I didn't have it. I just remember looking at it in Target being like, 80 bucks, nah. I don't know. I don't know about this Yoshi Tilt game, but looking back on it now, I wish I had that. That'd be awesome. I wish I had a lot of these things on Game Boy Advance, but that was a system that I, you know, I was a kid. I didn't have the money to go and splash splash all the money on it. Um, If I had as much games on Game Boy Advance as I do on Switch, (laughs) I would have been a very... uh, I was going to say a very happy kid, but I might be very sad. I might not have gone outside much. <laughs> or I might not have played Pokemon as much, and I might not have such an affection for that series. You never know. You never know where uh, life might take you. Hey? Maybe it was a good thing I didn't have so many games. I just uh, played Digimon Battle Spirit, Simpsons Road Rage on Game Boy Advance, which I have a real soft spot for, um, Pokemon, and uh, what else did I play? Mario World, and that's kind of that was kind of my Game Boy Advance repertoire. <laughs> Before DS, I had a lot more DS games and played a lot more uh, stuff on there. But um, yeah, man, can't wait for more, more Game Boy Advance games to come out. And uh, I need to start Superstar Saga or Minish Cap. I need to play one of them. Something you know, one of the games that is a bit longer. So I can to play that. And uh, the sixth game that I finished this year is Blanc, which is a, an indie game that we've been seeing a lot of Nintendo Directs over the last, feels like, six months. You know, the black and white game co-op, you're playing as a wolf, cub, or a little fawn, um, which is really cool. The game stood out to me a lot. It just has like a beautiful art style, you know, just black and white. The animation looks unreal, just how the characters are animated, how, how they interact with the world as you're going through. And I was a little bit worried because it's co-op. I'm like, hmm, 
And you can play by yourself. You can do one character on each of the thumbsticks and use the trigger buttons to interact and run. That's pretty much all you need to do in the game. So you can play by yourself. But ultimately for me, I didn't really see the need to play this game just by yourself. I don't think it is a game I would recommend to play by yourself. I think it is something you should seek someone out to play. There is online, so you can play with a friend from the other side of the world. So um, surely you'll be able to find someone and line up time schedules as well because it's about a two-hour game. We finished in two hours and a half, um, mainly because we got stuck in some sections and some some sections of the game sort of frustrated us, which I'll get into. So I did play this game with my partner, Chantel, and we had an absolutely fantastic time. And why this game is really special to me, actually, is because... My my wife, my wife was always typically someone who was really hard to find a game to play with. And I've mentioned this before, and Shanta was actually been on the show talking about this, which was really insightful for me to able to hear her perspective. But we typically play like a lot of Telltale games, um, you know, Life is Strange, stuff like that, which is me playing the game and her like, oh, helping like make decisions here and there. And I put the input. Um, but even those games, like The Walking Dead, I'm like, all right, you play it. Or um, what was that? Um, Until, Until Dawn. That was one week that we really enjoyed. And we played the whole game together. And there's some sections in that game where you're holding the controller and there's a monster coming out. And you've got to hold the, hold the dual sense really still. Otherwise, the monster will detect you. And uh, that was like a, that's really cool to me. But to her, that really like stressed her out. Like, I can't do this. She's getting mauled by some buddy monster. She's looking down at the controller. Like, what do I press? What do I press? I'm like, X. I'm like, which one's the X button? Like, you know, just um, it put a lot of sort of stress on her. And she didn't, she doesn't want to use her, um, I guess, leisure time to just sit there and be stressed, which is fair enough. I, I feel the same way with Dead Space, believe me. Um, so it was really hard to find games for her, just the, the play. And when I saw this, I, I played her a trailer and I said, like, would you be interested in playing this with me tonight when, when the game come out um, a couple of days ago? She said, yeah, yeah, we'll give it a go. So I went on to the eShop. It's only 22, 22 bucks here, so not too bad. Um, I would say, you know, pretty decent price for um, the type of game that it is. And we jumped into it and she ultimately had a really great time of it um, because... You're going through the game. She played as the Fox Cup. Or oh, I thought it was a Fox Cup, but at the, you know, you uh, you see their parents at the end because you're the aim of the game is you're getting back to your parents that you have lost in a snowstorm. So the, the Wolf Cub, she plays the Wolf Cub. I played as the Fawn and you're going through the, the game, interacting with the world, going through different puzzles, using your different advantages to progress. So me as the thorn, I could help the little wolf cub jump up ledges because the little wolf cub, I had a little tiny jump, but the thorn had a big jump and the wolf cub can sort of latch on with its mouth to different handles and drag things out the way, move things to where they need so I can jump up, up on them and um, progress. So you be basically getting to each section of the game and working out what you need to do to progress. And I thought the puzzles were really great. They were a lot of fun. They, you know, they weren't super hard, but they, you know, they got us thinking, they got us talking, sort of like, all right, you you go over there, I'll go here. Let's just suss out the area before we move on. Um, 
and it was really great. But there were some sections that involved other animals that um, sort of copied your movements and abilities and they were a little bit more frustrating because they didn't necessarily work every single time. Um, you know, you come across, you know, not, I don't want to spoil too much, but you come across um, some other animals that are off in the distance and they're basically copying your exact abilities. And we got to a point where it's like, all right, this is what we think we need to do. And I actually like, all right, I don't, I don't waste too much time. I've got a, I've got an impatient wife. I don't want to lose. I want to, I want to finish this game. <laughs> uh, so I looked up a quick guide and we were doing the exact right thing, but the, these uh, specific animals didn't follow us to this section. So I'm like, oh my God. So we, have to, so we went back and made sure they actually followed us this time. Um, so that was, that was a little bit frustrating and that's as far as my, basically my gripes go with this game. It didn't outlive its welcome. Like I said, two and a half hours to finish. Uh, I can imagine going through this game multiple times just with different people just to see what they think, especially if they aren't big gamers necessarily. I think it would be cool just to show them, to get them into it, getting used to moving around on the stick and using a couple of the face buttons. Um, so if you've got some kids or partner or maybe some friends or whatever, I think it'd just be just a great use of um, of this game, sort of you know getting them into using a controller. Um but apart from that, there's not a whole lot to do afterwards. There's no collectibles. There's no achievements. There's no whatever, what have you, which is good because I don't really need to go back. I'm like, oh, I need to collect all the collectibles. I need to do this. It was just a, a nice experience to sit down and 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 experience. <laughs> good experience the experiences. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad I picked it up. I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I could share it with my wife, which... Um, We've only been able to share a very specific genre of video games. And now we've actually done a bit of a puzzle game together. So I'll be looking for more of these, hopefully. Uh, some games are a little bit more basic, not too many inputs, moving around, um, getting us thinking. Uh, because there are even some puzzles where like she would move forward, she would do it, and we would progress the story there. So def a big recommend from me. Um, I... Uh, I'm basically keeping track of all my games on the GG app and leaving reviews for each game and keeping my list. Um, so if, if you want to follow me on that, actually, you can go to twitter.com slash Adruby. It's a, a Twitter post that I'm keeping uh, relevant on there. Um, but it also has a section where like you give it a rating out of five stars. Um, so typically I'm not like a, a score giver, but it, it makes me think like, oh, how much what score would I give this when I do leave a review with my thoughts on it? And I think ultimately I'll come down to like a three star. Uh, and to me, that's, that's good. That's a, that's a, that's a good score, which um, ultimately just, uh, just comes down to the fact that like, there's not like a, a whole heap to do, um, which, which that doesn't bother me. Um, the performance does leave a little bit more to be desired as far as the frame rate goes. Um, when I'm playing it, I'm like, it is sort of jarring enough. It is, I would say, probably sub 30 frames just from how it's animated. But I think it, it makes up for that, just how it looks and how it's how it's animated and all of that. So big recommendation if you need something to play with, especially a partner that um, doesn't like playing video games. So big thumbs up. Go and get Blanc from Cassis Luddy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but a small dev studio published by Gearbox. 
So um, big shout out. Support these games that are, are doing good work. All right, let's move on to the news. We got some, we got some news. A little bit, you know, a little bit quiet because of the Nintendo Direct, but you know, it is what it is. Woo-hoo! Yeah! Is that all? I fight for my friends. Woo-hoo! My body is still. All right, it's approaching the end of February, so we all know what that means. Buddy, coming up the Pokemon Day, celebrate Pokemon and. God knows what else they're doing over there at the Pokemon Company. Maybe they'll have some trading cards. Maybe. No. Um, I just want to read this, a bit of a quote about what we might be able to expect from one of the senior director of brand marketing at the Pokemon Company International. What a what an exciting title he has. I'm sure he gets paid well anyway. Um, so, quote, Since the beginning, Pokemon has had the unique ability of the physicality and virtuality virtually bringing people together. In 2023, we look forward to recognizing this aspect of the brand and inviting its remarkable community of fans to experience the many ways they can connect and uh, connect and Pokemon together across the franchise. Uh, we welcome trainers to play, discover, watch, <laughs> collect, trade, and beginning of this Pokemon Day, celebrate Pokemon together. And I, I just bring this up because typically we get a like a Pokemon Direct or a Pokemon Presents or, you know, a video with a couple of Pokemon announcements as far as stuff for Switch, mobile, and a bunch of other stuff um, a 28-year-old doesn't get too excited about. But this is a franchise that's for many people in the world, many ages, many, many different variations of people. So what... Are we hoping for out of a Pokemon Presents? Because we will get one. We will get one for Pokemon Day, whether it's going to be worth um, worth watching and paying attention to or not. And this is on the tip of everyone's tongue. There's a bunch of rumors going around. People are starting stuff up out of thin air, from what I believe. But Pokemon on Game Boy and Game Boy Advance, now that the online services are out there, for the love of God, Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald... Even Fire and Leaf Green are some of my favorite games of all time. I love the music. Like I mentioned before, the art style, the pixel art, everything about it. I really want to play these games. I've been itching just to start up an emulator on computer so I can play it on big screen with my 8-bit Doe controller. And even achievements. You can do achievements on um, RetroArch. So that was like, oh, that sounds great. But I, I want to hold off at least into Pokemon Day where I can be like, all right, give us the goods. And if they don't do it now and they don't do it next year, well, I don't know. I'm getting, I'm get, I'm just getting a little bit impatient as far as that goes, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, but that'll be great. That'll be uh, absolutely fantastic. I'll love to see that. I think that'd be a just um, just kind of a slam dunk as far as getting people signed up to the service. I think that'll be a big thing for Nintendo since they are, you know, one of the holders of the Pokemon IP. Um, but I don't know. You, you could see them doing like their own collection or even remakes or whatever. But I, I just I just want to say, like, if you're going to do that, please, please already have done it. Like, as far as like, I, I mentioned this before when it comes to the Pokemon Home subscription, wouldn't it be cool if like you subscribe to Pokemon Home and a part of that is like the retro games that uh, integrate straight into Pokemon Home? That'd be awesome. I'd love that. I'd play 
I'll, I'll pay that, please, for the love of God. So they could have done that a long time ago, just regardless of whether Nintendo Switch Online supports Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. So they weren't doing that, but now we are hopefully waiting. So I really do anticipate these games on a Nintendo Switch Online. That is my number one sort of just wish as far as uh, Pokemon Presents goes. Um, but another one would just be some spin-off games for Art Mobile. I feel like we've got enough on mobile. We've got Pokemon Unite, which is which is good. We've got Pokemon Go, which is doing its thing still, which I really enjoy. We've got Pokemon Masters, which pulls more from the characters and the, the world of Pokemon, which is which is really cool which is cool, but at the same time I'm not in in the market for these like microtransactions, gotcha stuff. It's just uh not on my agenda as far as what I want to spend my money and time in. But we've, we've got enough on mobile, man. We don't, like, even if you're, like, you're a massive Pokemon fan, you love your mobile gaming. That's enough. That's enough. Like, you you got the gotcha. You got the got all the passes in Pokemon Go. You're getting characters and all this and Unite. That's enough, man. That's enough. Calm down. Um, so I'd just love, love to see some more just spin-off games on Switch. And we've had a few. We've had the the remake of the first Mystery Dungeon. We've got Pokemon Snap. Um, what else do we have? Is that it? I can't quite remember, but we've got some rumors about a brand new Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. There's been some code found on the website as far as Mystery Dungeon and Chunsoft go, the developers behind the Mystery Dungeon series. So we could very likely expect that, and that would make sense. i kind of surprised we haven't got a Mystery Dungeon already apart from the remake. Um, but I guess that comes down to just not that many um, spin-offs on Switch. But my, I think the announcement that will get me most excited and be honestly the most surprising is a, a treatment like Final Fantasy got with Theat Rhythm where Pokemon gets its own rhythm game and like a celebration to the series where you're playing through different songs, you're progressing through each game, you're getting, you're choosing your party of six Pokemon, you're... Um, leveling up as you're going through the song, doing battles. Um, you've got like a Pokedex to collect because you're going through all the different regions, all the different games in the series, doing different songs. Um, I reckon that'll be absolutely awesome. That'll be amazing. And that was a thought I had when I was playing Theat Rhythm. It's just like, if they did this for Pokemon, Zelda, Mario, I don't know, Pikmin, Super Smash Brothers, um, just any Nintendo franchise would be amazing it would just be phenomenal and pokemon has some if not my favorite video game music of all time probably would be my favorite video game music of all time there's just so many games that you know even from the game boy to nintendo switch it all just sounds awesome that is something that they just have nailed every single game in the pokemon series so i would actually love this love to see a rhythm game mystery dungeon would be cool um, and Game Boy Advance and Game Boy games coming to Nintendo Switch Online. And I feel like the, the retro games coming to the service wouldn't be a big ask. I feel like that's a, that's a pretty decent ask. So, yeah. I'd love to hear what you guys think about Pokemon Day, what you guys would like to see um, announced. Um, leave it on the YouTube video or um, twitter.com slash me. All right. Let's move on to something that's not so fun to talk about, but we have to talk about it. Saudi Arabia becomes the largest outside shareholder of Nintendo. And I'm going to read this from Bloomberg, but I just want to start off by offering some context. I organized the show yesterday, the day prior to recording, and 
um, Saudi Arabia, they, they upped their percentage from 6% um, to 7%. And the day after, they've also upped it once again to 8.3%, which is, which is concerning. So let's read from Bloomberg, and then we'll discuss the show from there. Well, the article from there. Saudi Arabia's public investment fund become the largest outside shareholder of Nintendo Co. on Friday. It's the largest move by the Gulf state to lower its reliance on oil. The Sovereign Wealth Fund now owns 8.3% of the Kyoto-based games company, according to a filing building up a position that stood just above 6% at the start of the year. That puts the PIF ahead of uh, Japan, uh, Japan's government pension investment fund and only... On and behind only Nintendo's own holding, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. Under the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia is making a concerted push to break into the games and esports industry, most notably to set up the uh, Saudi Games Group under the PIF umbrella with $38 billion budget and lifetime, lifetime industry veterans in charge. Saudi this week revealed its uh, first foray into China's game sector with $260 million investment in Tencent Holdings Limited and competitive gamer, uh, backed competitive gamer organizer. Okay. Uh, the uh, Yeah, I don't know what the competitive uh, gamer organizer is. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the latest Nintendo stake purchase was made for investment purposes, the filing said. A Nintendo representative said the company doesn't comment on specific shareholders and PIF didn't immediately respond to a request request to comment. Quote, it's tough to bet against PIF due, due to its size in the market. UBS analyst Kenji Farakama said, um, the fund may underpin Nintendo shares if this continues, uh, this continues to increase its stakes, end quote. Nintendo marked the PIF's third investment in a Japanese uh, company uh, that hit that hit. Jesus, I'm falling apart today. Uh, hit the public discourse sharehold of five percent, um, along with Nexon Co. and Final Fantasy maker Capcom Co. in 2022. Its growing portfolio in games and entertainment firms now includes Activision Blizzard, Electronic Arts, Take Two Interactive Software Inc., Koei Tecmo Holdings Co and data compiled by Bloomberg show. Quote, The Nintendo pur- uh, purchase, as well as investments in the game companies around the world, is a part of the Saudi Arabia's long-term project to become less reliant on, on oil, um, said, uh, said a consultant who works with Japanese companies exporting pop culture content to the Mideast, uh, Mid- Middle East. Uh, the World Fund's investment are guided by Saudi's state goals for 2030, which include building strategic economic partnerships and bringing home cutting-edge to- uh, technology. Some of the technologies the PIF have targeted include rene- renewable energy, uh, big data analysts, analyst and entertainment content. The PIF is bankrolling the construction of Neom, a futuristic city in the northwestern Saudi Arabia, uh, which it plans to market as the region's first gaming hub. It will house a campus and draw businesses, developers, and artists to collaborate on games, marketing, documents, say. uh, MBS, who is making attempts to rebuild relationships with Washington after the killing of the Washington Post journalist Jamal... uh, (laughs) 
I'm not going to try to pronounce that, uh, by a Saudi agent since 2018, was behind the PIF's $45 billion investment in tech uh, investor SoftBank Corp Co. First Vision Fund. That move spearheaded a multiplayer effort to obtain footholds in the world's most prominent startups. Quote, I think the PIF is not done and uh, and wouldn't be surprised if it continues to increase its stake in Nintendo going forward. End quote. And that's the end of the article. So, uh, you know, this is something that I bring up each time that it comes into the, basically the zeitgeist and the news when they up their um, sort of foot print on Nintendo shares. And why this is a concern just for the gaming industry at large is just, you know, Saudi Arabia. This this isn't just a company in Saudi Arabia. This is the, the PIF. This is the, essentially the, the government, the people that make the rules, that, you know, tread on women, that tread on trans people, that tread on gay people, tread on lesbian people, tread on a bunch of people, strip their rights to the point where, you know, they, they don't even get a slap on the wrist. They get, they get, they get, you know, written off. They get killed, which is just an, an awful thing. I think it's something that is just, just, uh, it's just, just, you know, just outright sucks <laughs> as far as, you know, trying to enjoy the hobby. And it's just, it's not just Nintendo. It's other um, Japanese publishers that we really enjoy. Capcom, Koei Tecmo, some of my favorite publishers, obviously Activision Blizzard, EA, a bunch of games that I've um you know I've I've bought over the last couple of months that are uh, you know I guess technically a little bit of that cash is going to these guys, and I think some people in Saudi Arabia they say look you know this is this is them trying to make a change you know they are trying to change for the better, bring more games and bring more stuff into the country more tech more I guess Western influence in some way, and if that's the case that's great I hope that is the case I hope they are trying to move forward and become more a part of, I guess, you know, modern day. We're not living in the stone age where women have to, you know, fit into a certain role. You know, each person can be exactly what they want to be, um, which is just a, a wonderful sort of just uh, in some ways just, you know, right. We get here in Australia, America, US, Canada, all those countries. So, I hope um, hope it is a step forward, but it also might be them putting their values into our content, our entertainment, and them controlling it through sport, video games, um, movies. It's uh, it's concerning, and it's just worth keeping an eye on. But ultimately, there's nothing we can do about it. There's no point boycotting games. There's no point saying we're not going to buy a Nintendo game ever again. But at the very least I can do is just voice my concern on my little podcast, but I don't think it's worth being like, all right, tears of the kingdom, not buying it because um, of Saudi Arabia's 8.3% in Nintendo stock. Um, but it's something keeping, it's worth keeping an eye on. This is not going to be the last time we talk about it. It's going to go up again and again and again. And will it get to 20%? Will it get to 30%? Will it get to 40%? They'll never have a majority stake of Nintendo. Nintendo owns 51% um, of its uh, stock. So there won't be any sort of takeover as far as as far as that goes, but concerning nevertheless. Let's move on. Tears of the Kingdom, speaking about, we've got some pre-order bonuses up here in Australia from EB Games and JB Hi-Fi. I've got the game pre-ordered that 
EB Games. I got the collector's edition. So I will be getting a bonus luggage tag with the Tears of the Kingdom logo on it. So good for me. Do I go traveling that much? No. Would I use a Tears of the Kingdom luggage tag? No, I wouldn't. But in the Discord, uh, <laughs> our good friend Zach of Blowing Cartridges podcast is going to Japan the very next day. So he's like, oh, look, I've got a Tears of the Kingdom luggage tag. I might be I might be able to lose on the trip. <laughs> so uh, very jealous of uh, Zach going to Japan, but I'm sure he'll be able to use that luggage tag. And we got um, from JB Hi-Fi retailer here, we got Tears of the Kingdom coin, which is a lot cooler. Um, so there's that. So those of you that shop at JB Hi-Fi, awesome stuff. You got a coin. Um, but for me, I don't have a JB Hi-Fi anywhere near me and I like to support um, the, the brick and mortar EB Games here. Um, I actually had a really good chat with the, a, a bloke that worked at EB Games uh, yesterday. I went in and traded, my, traded in my PlayStation 4 Pro towards PlayStation VR and we're just talking about VR and all this. And He actually mentioned that, uh, that uh, the VR was like a lot more pre-ordered pre-ordered than Hogwarts Legacy and Hogwarts Legacy was actually pre-ordered a lot at um that specific EB Games and um I was like wow that's pretty cool but when I was thinking about it a little bit more I was like well you kind of you have to come here to get the the PlayStation VR 2 whereas Hogwarts Legacy a lot of people would just be like downloading it on Steam or you know the digital storefronts on Xbox and PlayStation so interesting nevertheless seems like it's uh, going pretty well down in my part of the country Let's move on. So it's between three, the expansion pass. The first wave comes out February 28th and uh, we get access to Incopolis from the first game. Um, so cool. Well, not really. It's a little bit boring. It doesn't get me excited for it at all. But it's interesting how they sort of word it, how it is like, you know, you get the first part of the expansion and you get the second part. And the first part, especially for um, especially for this, but even with uh, Breath of the Wild all the way back in 2000 and did it come out? Yeah, it must have come out 2017, the expansion pass. Um, but even that, you got like very minimal content in the first wave. But then the second wave was like the big story stuff. And it seems to be the same for this as well, where it's, it's kind of like a pre-order bonus in some ways. You get the access to the different city, which is cool if you're a massive fan, but it doesn't really offer anything new as, as far as like different shops and items and that. You just like, it's like a different storefront pretty much and different aesthetic and how everything's laid out. But if you're a big fan, you might appreciate it, especially if you're missing and feeling nostalgic for the first game on Wii U. So coming out very soon as well, February 28th. We've got some new images from the lost official Super Smash Brothers Slam Fest in 1999. And this was, uh, this was interesting because this was something a lot of people online were trying to uncover and find photos of. And now we've got some really high, high res images of it as well. So I read this from my Nintendo news and then we'll discuss back in 1999, Nintendo of America held a special super smash brothers themed wrestling event in North America, which was titled the super smash brothers slam fest 99. The official event saw characters from the now acclaimed franchise wrestle it out in front of a live audience in Las Vegas in on the 24th of April, 1999. The event uh, was also filmed and broadcasted on the official Nintendo of America website via Real Player. 
Sadly, despite the fact that Super Smash Bros. Slamfest was broadcasted live back then, it doesn't seem to be any video footage of Slamfest 99 anywhere. Thankfully, the event's producer, Ed uh, Espinoza, <laughs> Espizona, I don't know. I'm so bad with names, as we know here, uh, has scanned some of his photos from the event, and we have um, have some included, uh, included a few um, in here. Quote, uh, these 31 new photographs were provided courtesy of Ed, Slamfest 99's producer. They were scanned from his personal collection, and he was gracious enough to offer them uh, to the search team to be shared around. Ed has also previously been interviewed by Game Explained to talk about his memories of Slamfest 99 production. These photos reveal the new details that have never been seen before in the search, such as to performers, rehearsals, gameplay stations to preview Super Smash Bros. 64 and surrounding stage, stage area and production equipment. Clear uh, images of the referee and announcer and much more. Um, so... Just to paint a bit of a picture for you guys that haven't seen this, if you remember the Super Smash Brothers 64 commercial where there's Donkey Kong, Pikachu, Mario, and Yoshi just duking it out, just just ripping each other to shreds, <laughs> that live-action commercial, um, that is the same suits that are in, featured in this event where there's a big wrestling ring and you've got these four Nintendo characters just going at it with each other. And it's interesting that... Um, Think about like the very first game where it's just like what, like you got you got these characters that you remember from like Mario sixty four, especially on the on the on the Nintendo sixty four. You got Pokemon Stadium, you got Legend of Zelda, you got Donkey Kong, which which um <laughs> which like all the characters together. They're fighting each other. It's like Nintendo is not typically violent. Now they're all just together, which is cool enough. And then they're all fighting and in this fighting game. So it would have been like a really weird sort of circumstance to, to find themselves in. So just having this live event, you can imagine just like how weird it would be just being there and um, seeing it all. So I, I need to check out this um, interview by Game Explain. That's pretty cool. Um, so it's cool that with uh, the searches over for the for the most part, it's just like finding evidence of this of this event that um, was sort of lost the time. And it's something that wouldn't happen these days where an event just um, is lost. It's lost the time. So it's there if you want to go and check it out. Next up, we've got some rumors as far as the Nintendo Switch OLED model um, and a potential release date for the 10th of March. And since the breath of, oh, since the Tears of the Kingdom, uh, I guess, trailer a couple of weeks ago, I think it has sort of solidified this uh, Switch OLED as a real special edition coming out. I don't think it is a, it is fake mainly because on the joy cons, there's a, a logo, a unique logo that we hadn't seen before. And in the tears of the kingdom trailer from last week, it's featured in that. So unless there's someone from within Nintendo who is mocking this and making it up just to throw us off, which is a weird thing to do. Um, I believe it's real. And just to reiterate what this, OLED edition is. It's got golden Joy-Cons. The left Joy-Con has a, a pattern that's green. The the right Joy-Con has a pattern that's white. has a white um, dock with golden accents on it with the Tears of the Kingdom, basically Triforce logo, coat of arms in the middle, as well as some sort of circle sort of patterns on the side. And on the back of the actual OLED switch itself, it just has sort of that circle pattern, which is 
pretty boring. Um, but the dock looks great. The Joy-Cons look okay. I'm not that wild about it. Um, and uh, I think for the most part, a little bit relieved just in some ways because if it was like, oh my God, that's an amazing Zelda Special Edition, I would probably have to buy it. But I think, I've, I think I'm at the point now where it's like, all right, that's enough. Enough switches, enough switches. I've had enough. Um, but just reading from the article, just to make sure we get everything as far as what we've um, what we need to know, is a uh, quote is looking increasingly likely that the leaked Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom OLED model console is a real deal. Today, YouTube channel Nintendo Prime has published an image of a new Nintendo Switch SKU on GameStop's internal system, which had a date of Friday, tenth listed. Uh, the date is most likely when the all-important pre-order program could start in North America, video game retail. Uh, it should be noted that Nintendo has not announced the uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom Nintendo Switch OLED model system. Uh, so at present, this will be marked as a rumor. But um, yeah, I think that we, we are going to get the system before May and pre-orders could very well go up. March, start of March sounds like a good time. You pre-order it a couple of months, March, April. Yeah, so it could come out start of May, I would say. Like, let's, uh, let's have a look here. So I'm just getting at my calendar for those that cannot sue, which is majority of people. When is the Friday? So I'm going to say it's either this OLED model is going to come out the 5th of May or it's going to come out the 20... Uh, the 28th of April. They, they are Fridays. Um, you know, and typically Nintendo sticks to the Friday release date and most publishers do here in Australia as well, but there are a couple of games that don't. Um, Atomic Heart comes out Tuesday, for example, for some reason, which uh, I don't know how you guys feel about Friday releases. I think they're great. You know, you you finish work and then you've got your gaming, uh, your game that you've been looking forward to for a long time, just sitting there waiting for you. But Tuesday, I'm like, come out Tuesday. What are you doing? It's not too bad because you, you can just download it stuff. Download it in that now, but I don't know. I started to uh, collect physical games for PlayStation 5, just getting my games physically and the amount of effort it was to go and pick up those games rather than just download them and have them ready to go in the morning. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Okay, let's move on. We've got a story from Metroid Primary Mastered and it's from gamesindustry.biz. Title is Original Metroid Prime Developers Omitted from a Remastered Credits. So let's jump into it. Metroid Primary Mastered is the latest title to be criticized for omitting developers from its credits. In this case, the game's original developers. Zoic, uh, Zoid uh, Kirch who was the senior engineer on the 2022 Nintendo title, shared via Twitter rather than including the staff in the original game credits. It instead featured the line, based on the work of Metroid Prime, the original Nintendo GameCube and Wii version development staff. Kirch acknowledged that many studios did amazing work on the remaster, but said he felt let down by this decision. Quote, I worked with so many amazing people on the game and everyone's name should be included in the remaster, not just a single card like this, end quote. Game, Rant, game Rant reports that the game's credits include the names of the staff from Retro Studios, the original game's developer, which severed, uh, served as the primary team on the remaster alongside a number of support studios. These included Iron Galaxy, Airship Images Limited, uh, 
Adam Adam Hawk Design, GG Bot, Game Sim Inc, Liquid Development, Original Force, uh, Shangai, Mine Loader, and Digital Technology and Zumbot Studios. Credit credit omissions is a long time long term running problem in the games industry. Most recently, uh, most recently by um, striking distance, leaving around twenty former uh, employees out of the credits for the Callisto Protocol. So, yeah, this is uh, another story. I haven't had to talk about it too much on this show, but it's been a bit of a bit of a bit of a topic as far as uh, just the gaming zeitgeist goes. Um, just in general, just people being left out of credits and even big games like God of War, Ragnarok, some of the interns being left out. And it's something that we don't think about a whole lot as gamers. You know, we finish a game and the credits are all like, oh, you sort of, uh, you fold your arms and you look at all the amazing, talented people that just made an experience that just really captivated you and you enjoyed and you feel like you spent your money on and, you know, that you that you feel just really good just with your time you put into it. I'm running around in circles here. <laughs> um, but typically you don't, you don't feel like you don't, you don't sort of think about what it'd be like to be left out. You can imagine putting four or five years into a project, being a part of a team of 50, 100, 200 people, putting this thing together, putting your little touch on it, whether you're a, a whether you're part of just making, putting some little textures on a rock, whether you're a part of the soundtrack, your whatever have you, whatever little role you have, you put your heart and soul into this game, whether it's just a day job and you don't really care, you want to be acknowledged for it. I I could imagine being like, oh my God, I got a job at this game studio um, and I'm in the games industry. It's so, it feels so rewarding to be a part of this, even if it's not a a big Nintendo game, even if it's uh, just a, a really shoddy mobile game, which no one cares about, you want to put your mark on it. You want to feel a part of the team and just being omitted from it kind of sucks. And especially in like the case of like the Callisto Protocol, God of War, Ragnarok, a lot of these other games that, um, you know, they weren't remasters. They weren't, um, you know, they were original games from the ground up and they had a part of it and they should be in the credits. It's a little bit different for this because I can see from Nintendo's point of view where it is just like, you know, you didn't have a part of this product necessarily, but we will say good on you for doing, <laughs> for, um, you know, just the original team, just big shout out. Because a lot of those people from Retro Studios are no, are no longer a part of the company. And I don't know how it works financially. I don't know if it's, um if they're in the credits, they're like, oh, we're entitled to money for royalties or whatever. I don't know if that becomes a little bit tricky and Nintendo wants to avoid that. I'm not quite sure, but I think it would be great to just have them a part of the credits. Be like the original, like even just have like all the staff a part of the remaster, then the credits keep rolling and it just has like the title come up saying like the original staff for the Metroid Prime 2002 on the Nintendo GameCube and we, you know, Metroid Prime Trilogy. Just have everyone's names in there, man. Just, um, you know, these, uh, these people that are part of making this fantastic game and, series that means a lot to people um i think it's just it's not too hard to do for the most part and it gets tricky as well because for some reason as a malleable as games are how you can go into it do the code add stuff dlc all of this for some reason credits are just a hard thing to edit for for game developers i'm not sure why whether it's just like a movie 
like a, a like a, a video file and they can't go in and just replace it. I'm not not too sure, but I would like to see you know the original retro retro um retro uh, studios staff to um get a bit more acknowledgement as far as the brand new game goes because realistically a lot more people could be playing this version and they'd like to have their names in front of those people so yeah i'm sure we'll uh, be covering this um a bit more as uh, more games come out remastered from nintendo but don't include them in the in the credits but even stuff like uh, pikmin 3 deluxe on switch that also had in the credits just just you know thanks to the original staff of pikmin 3 that's not not even that older game. <laughs> Probably still got a lot of those people still there. Yeah. All right, another article from gamesindustry.biz and this is just something I want to bring up because it's been a little bit annoying over the last couple of weeks. Um, so let's get into it. Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom will cost $70 USD. The article reads, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom will retail at, at $69.99. Uh, Nintendo confirmed. Rumors of the Breath of the Wild sequel's price tag had been circulating for the past few days with Nintendo finally revealing it after yesterday's Nintendo Direct. Uh, Nintendo Switch uh, top-tier first-party titles have historically been priced at $59.99, so it's the first time the platform holder has increased its price point. Talking to Game Informer, Nintendo suggested this might not apply to all of its major releases going forward, saying... Quote, we determine the suggested retail price of any Nintendo product on a case-by-case basis, end quote. This follows a wave of AAA titles embracing a $70 price point since the release of the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series XS. Take-Two kicked off the trend when it announced in July 2022 that NBA 2K21 would cost $70, but many followed the suit, um, including Activision with its Call of Duty and Sony with Returnal. So I just want to bring this up because this is, as an Australian who's um, who paid more for Breath of the Wild at launch, it's just such a non-story. And I get that it's like a big thing for those that live in America because Nintendo Switch games, games published by Nintendo, sixty bucks. That's around just um, just the agreed-on price since the launch of Nintendo Switch and. Um, with the increased development costs and more powerful consoles, inflation, everything that's going on in the world, uh, a lot of these companies put up their cost to $70. And when it comes to PlayStation 5, when, when it comes to their first-party games, you know, when it comes to God of War Ragnarok and even the remaster of The Last of Us, it, these games are like technically the most impressive and expensive to develop games in the, in the industry. So... Um, I think for me, at least, like the increased cost, you know, I see it being justified. But I can see people being like, all right, so that same cost is going to be applied to Nintendo Switch games, which I can I can understand because the whole point of the Switch is that it's lesser hardware. It's, you know, it's very old mobile hardware. So development for Nintendo is cheaper. They can put out games quicker. And ultimately for us as the consumer, they can be cheaper, which is great. And I think that's... Um, that's ultimately where Nintendo fits in, where, you know, even a Kirby game here in Australia is 80 bucks. Um, it's still relatively cheap compared to maybe a PlayStation game or an Xbox game um, to buy for your kids. So it fits in that way. But there was so much just hubbubaloo being like, oh my God, Nintendo games are $70 now? You've got to be bloody kidding me. It's like, guys, 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 guys. Even when it was just 
rumored, like it got leaked on the eShop. It's just Zelda that's 80 bucks. Sorry, that's $70 in the USA. And Breath of the Wild launched at 60. But here in Australia, Breath of the Wild launched at $90. And Nintendo games um, release at $80. So at the launch of Nintendo Switch, we already paid $10 more for Breath of the Wild. And when it comes to Breath of the Wild, it's one of the best games ever made. It's massive. You can play it for hundreds of hours. It's an amazing, amazing game. It's worth... $10 $10 more than any other Switch game. Like, realistically. And Tears of the Kingdom, it's it's going to be... I'm not thinking about it too much, but just, like, looking at it as um, as someone who's got, you know, like, we've all got knowledge of Breath of the Wild and what that was and what a 60-year development cycle for a brand-new Zelda game that's iterating on that game. This is going to be a tremendously impressive game. It really is. It's going to be an amazing game. I don't want to hype it up too much and be disappointed when we actually get to play it, but this game's going to be worth $70. It's going to be worth $100 US. Like, it really is. It's going to be awesome. But I think where a lot of the the disagreement comes is just like, all right, does, does that mean the next Mario Golf's going to be $70? <laughs> does this mean Mario Strike is going to be $70? Does this mean, you know, a lot of these games that are good on Switch, but they're certainly not worth... It's like a premium price tag. Um, but it, we've got it confirmed from Nintendo that it, that is not going to be the case. It's just Tears of the Kingdom. It's had a very long development cycle. Nintendo feel like they can get away with it and they feel like it's ultimately worth it just um, as far as the price goes. And I agree with them, to be honest. Um, and I think it's good to be flexible with prices. And while I don't think Nintendo is all that good at it all the time, like, for example, at the launch of Nintendo Switch, I paid $90. I paid more because I got the special edition, but if I got just the game by itself, it's $90 for the special edition of... No, for the normal edition of Breath of the Wild. Um, but I paid $70, so $20 less, and $10 less than your normal retail price here in Australia for 1-2 Switch. I paid $70. And that is a game that should have been $20. Or, you know, realistically, it would have been great to be free just to show off a lot of the great things the Switch can do which uh, the Switch actually hasn't shown off since that game. <laughs> like the HD Rumble, really cool. Have not used it since that ball game in 1-2 Switch. So I think it's just great if Nintendo can be a bit more flexible with their prices. Um, we saw that with Metroid Primary Masters, 60 bucks in the US. No, $40 in the US, $60 here. I'm getting mixed up between what currency I want to stick to. But um, basically what I'm just saying is that I, I think that it's not such a big deal. And I was listening to podcasts being like, oh, Nintendo Switch games, they're all $70 now. So people were just losing their mind. But just um, calm down. They're not $70 everywhere. It's just uh, it's just Zelda, which uh, you will pay. You will pay. And if you wait five years for the price to go down, it won't. <laughs> it won't. Uh, there's some games that I'm like, oh, I want to pick up uh, Pikmin 3 re- uh, Deluxe on Switch. <laughs> Still 80 bucks, man. It's a bloody, it's a port of a Wii U game. I just want to, I want it not to break my bank, man. I just want to pick up this the bloody little Pikmin game and play it before the fourth one. That's all I want to do, man. That's all I want to do. All right. That's all the news, guys. So let's jump into the Red Coin releases. I think we'll get out of here. So we actually had a great week this week. 
Uh, Fiat Rhythm Final Byline is on Nintendo Switch. You can get it for 85 bucks Australian. Uh, really great. Really great game. Um, another game I actually really want to talk about, which I didn't talk about at the start of the show. So we'll talk about it here. It's a great place for it. Rooftop Renegade for 26 bucks and 50 cents. And I was provided the code from the, the publisher. So thank you very much to Rooftop Renegade. Uh, my friends at IndieXP, Alex, set me up. So really appreciate it. This was a, a game that I was really looking forward to, actually. It's um, made by a local well, a local dev team um, in Adelaide. So really cool. And the premise of the game is... Uh, well, before I get into that, let's just read the uh, blurb we got in the eShop. So Rooftop Renegade is an action platform all about speed and flow. Evade, evade capture through futuristic skyscrapers channeling powerful abilities from your hover blades. So the game is like you're zipping around in your hover blades. It's uh, 2D and the game is all about momentum and speed as you're getting through the game. You're trying to beat your high score. And um, as you're going through it, you're going through the arcade mode and there's 26 levels to go through. And the, the goal is to get the best rank, the best time you can. And when um, when going through it, you're also unlocking different abilities to your hover boots. So you start off with nothing. You can just jump and then you gradually unlock different abilities as you go along. You get a, a boost, which is your first ability. Then you get a double jump. And then you get like an ability to basically just kick down. So you can do like a quick descent. Um, then you get a like a invincible ability where you can just run through obstacles and stuff like that. And it's really fun. I had a great time. I streamed it for about three hours the other day and it was, uh, it was great. I really sort of enjoyed my time with it, but going through the arcade mode and finishing all the levels and going through that there, you know, there's not a whole lot to do. It's just very much a pick up and play, um, try and beat your time and scores as you go along. But I think what um, let me down a little bit for it is just like it's so much fun to try and beat your score. Um, for example, it puts like a ghost time similar to what it does in Mario Kart. Um, so you can race yourself you can to try and get better times. But it doesn't really motivate you as much because you don't. Ha- there's no leaderboard. Well, at the time of uh, me playing the game anyway, there was no leaderboard. So there's no like, I guess, uh, something to push you on, which I think is a great sort of addition for games like this that like, you know, you finish a level and like, oh, you see that your friend beat you. And that was like a big thing in Need for Speed and Forza Horizon and some other racing games where you're trying to beat your your friend's score. And I think that would have been a great addition to this. But apart from that, it just has great music, just a great aesthetic and uh, a lot of fun to play. So you can get it for $26.50. I think it's worth it. I think it's just a, a great game to pick up and play and have fun with not a whole lot to do apart from going through the the arcade mode beating your scores as well as playing uh randomly generated levels as well which adds some variation to to it all you can basically go into it and um press the randomized button and it gives you like a, a random level with random um obstacles and all that which is which is pretty neat and um i'm playing on playstation and I think um, the achievement system, the trophy system actually adds a lot to this game where it incentivizes me to try and get S ranks, to try and do these different challenges. There's like a challenge for um, the truck that's uh, chasing you as you're trying to escape it. There's a a trophy for um, escaping it at the very last second, like finishing the level just as um, with it up your ass basically. And like a bunch of challenges like that that um, add some stuff to the game, 
which is um which is a reason that I really wish the Switch had an achievement system of some sort. Um, so I'm I'm enjoying just going through the trophies. Hopefully, I'll get the platinum on that. But um, yeah, great game. Really do recommend it. Um, if you're if you're into that, and like I said, great music, great music. Next up, we got Souls of Chronos. It's a classic JRPG with a action combat system. Uh, the blurb reads: A faithful encounter in a world world of turmoil. Fifteen years ago, after uh, a catastrophic event uh, known as the apocalypse, the world is still in an era of its greatest unrest. Uh, even uh, uh, Atella, a harbour town far from the centre of Valios Empire, is no exception. Local gangs, slum dwellers, external forces, and secret soldiers—all of these factions are clashing down together so 28 dollars and 50 cents and it looks pretty cool looks like um, a really nice sort of classic jrpg with a nice chibi hand-drawn art style which is pretty cool and this is a game that actually caught my attention a little bit uh 10 dates 22 dollars and 50 cents it's a live action interactive romantic comedy uh, 10 Dates is the sequel to the interactive rom-com Five Dates taking place in the post-pandemic world. Misha, a millennial from London, is in search of an elusive in-person connection, tricks her best friend Ryan into going to spend, going to a speed dating event with her. Uh, each with their own five personal matches, Misha and Ryan must pluck up the courage to turn on the charm to date widely different personalities. And uh, I've never played one of these live action games where you're like you're basically making choices. I guess, mate. I guess similar to like a Telltale game where you're making choices and you can interact with with the game that way. But I wouldn't mind playing in this. I don't know if it's on. It's got to come to like Game Pass or a service like that. I I personally wouldn't want to buy it, but I'm intrigued enough. Maybe it's worth picking up for twenty two bucks. I don't know how long it is either. It'd be interesting though. Jesus Christ, I'm looking at the space. It's 20, 20 gigabytes on your Switch. Jesus Christ, there must be, about, must be a bit of film in there. Must be a bit of film in there. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the show, everyone. Thank you very much for spending your time here at the House of Mario, listening to episode 245. I really enjoyed it this week. Um, I was a little bit, little bit nervous whether I had the energy to do it or not, but... I stumbled through a, a couple of names in there, but I think it was a good show. I really um really enjoyed it. So I really, yeah, like I said, really appreciate you listening to this part of the podcast. But to let me know that you got to this point in the show, I'm going to leave you with a bit of a challenge. And last week was pretty easy. It was indeed The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. That was the music featured in this mystery jukebox section. But this week, I'm going to play something a little bit trickier. I'm going to make up for how easy it was last week. So I'm going to play a bit of a soundtrack. And you've got to guess what it is. Sounding a bit mystical at the moment. It's going to be a tricky one to get. Do you think you know it yet? I'll let it play a little bit longer than usual. Should I give any hints? Do I have any hints to give you? Maybe there's a hint somewhere 
in this episode if you've listened to it. Last hint I'll give is that the soundtrack just come out come out on Spotify and Apple Music recently. So that's the only hint I'll give you. So apart from that, guys, thank you very much for listening to the House of Mario. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also go over to YouTube.com/slash/Odruby. Subscribe, like the video, and uh, leave a comment underneath with what you think the mystery jukebox was. But until then, guys, the doors to the House of Mario. They're closed. I'll catch you later.